Hey, thank y'all. Allison, good to have you back in the saddle up here. In that song, I noticed there was a part that said, This Jesus, and then my Jesus. And uh, it takes a while to get there, doesn't it? We hear about Jesus and all that, but we hopefully get to a point where we recognize He's my Jesus. He's personal to us, and that's what we try to do. Appreciate you guys. And we want to welcome, I know Mike did, but we welcome those who are out in the parking lot. Um, and then also you who are live streaming at home with us. We are thankful for you being with us as well. And of course, all of you. And if you're here for the first time, we certainly welcome you um, today to Southwest. Well, a guy named Dalen McLee heard this boom outside of his apartment complex a couple of years ago. Then actually it was last year, and then the building shook, and he was wondering what in the world was going on. Was it some kind of an earthquake? And uh, a relative came running inside and said, there's been a terrible accident outside involving a police cruiser. And he went running out. This was in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. He ran out, and he realized that the patrol car was engulfed in flames, and there was a police officer unconscious in there, and he was able to drag him out of the police cruiser and the police officials later said he literally saved the police officer's life after this crash. And McLee said it wasn't a complicated decision for him to do that because it was another human being. And he said, but even some of his closest friends wondered if there was maybe a little hesitation when he heard it was a policeman. And he said, no, there was value in every human life. We are all children of God. I can't imagine just watching someone burn in a vehicle. No matter what other people may have done to me, I thought this guy deserves to make it home safely to his family. And McLee, year before this, two years before this, had filed a lawsuit against four Pennsylvania state police troopers in a wrongful arrest after he spent a whole year in jail related to a 2016 fight outside of a bar, which he was at home, and his sister called him and says, hey, I'm at this bar, there's a terrible fight going on, I'm really scared, I don't have a ride, can you come pick me up? He rushed over there when he did, he saw a guy in the parking lot with a, uh, uh, a gun, and he took the gun from the guy and threw it away, and then he heard shots and he started running. Well, at least one trooper fired shots at him as he fled, the trooper said that, McLee had pointed a weapon at him twice, but later security footage showed that he simply did just what he said. He disarmed a guy who had a gun outside and ran. But he ended up, y'all, spending a year in prison for that. A year, he said, away from my children, away from my wife, away from my mother who was ill at the time, and she passed away last year. But he stressed forgiveness. He said he couldn't blame every police officer for the bad encounters that he had that night. He said, we need to work on our humanity. That's the main problem of this world. We're stuck in how to get up or even get even, and that is, how, that is not how I was raised to be, he says. You learn, you live, you move on, and I was always taught to forgive big. You can't base every day of your life off one interaction you have with one individual or a, a group of individuals. I don't want to be called a hero. I just want to be known as an individual who is an upstanding man. And I hope that trooper sees and knows that he's forgiven. That's a big forgive, isn't it? 
I mean, he was acquitted of this, but can you imagine spending a year of your life in prison or in jail for something you know you didn't do? You were just trying to help the situation. But yet he was able to forgive and act. And that's what truly becoming a follower of Jesus means, is that we don't just talk about these things, we actually act on them. We don't just sit there in church and go, oh, that's a great story. Oh, yeah, Jesus was right on that. But then we go out and act completely differently or don't act at all. So we're continuing our series on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus has been, we've been looking at a lot of um, different parables that Jesus used to talk about the kingdom of God and how we should practically live. A relationship with God is not simply memorizing laws or rules or even verses in the Bible. It has to do with relationship, understanding that my actions that my reactions make a difference every day in my relationships and how I treat people and what I do, what I say. That makes a difference in how people see not only me, but see God as well. And as we've moved through Jesus' descriptions of what the kingdom of God is like, I've stressed this, and I'm going to say it again, that it's important. In all these parables that Jesus talked about, when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, he's saying it is inclusive to all of humanity. Anybody can be a part of living in God's kingdom. And it's certainly mysterious. It works in ways. It works in, in things and in, in, in places we don't really understand or know how, but it's actually present working, whether we understand it or know it. And it also works and grows even in a hostile environment. This guy that we just told a story about, that was a hostile environment, didn't it? But God's kingdom was working, and we're listening about his story today. That's how God's kingdom works. And it consistently calls for a response. And again, in this story, I see this guy responded. He had some bad things happen to him, but he didn't let that keep him from responding in the way that God had called him to see the value of another person and step in and do something about it. So today we're going to take a look at another parable of Jesus that came out of a question from one of Jesus' disciples, Peter. And Peter asked Jesus... How many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Is there a limit to that? He's basically saying to Jesus, I want to know, do I keep forgiving or is there a limit? So you think, what prompted that question? Why did Peter come up with that? Now, we all struggle, I would imagine, from time to time to forgive someone. Someone's done something to us that's hurt us, something they said, something they did, and we get hurt by that. And because we're hurt, we have these resentful feelings, these bitter feelings towards them. And we tend to not want to forgive them because of that sometimes. And sometimes it's on the other end of that coin, or the other side of that coin, is that we have hurt somebody. And we know we've hurt them, and we know we've caused them bitterness and resentment because of what we said or what we did. And we desperately want and need the forgiveness for them, but they won't give it. They're mad at us, and they're, not, they're done with us, and they won't forgive it. And we desperately need that forgiveness but forgiveness is an incredibly powerful force that is unfortunately not used in this world enough, is it? We don't use enough. We get prideful and go, well, I know they said they were sorry, but I don't think they really are. I know they said they were not going to do that again, but they've said it again. They've done it again. So I'm done with that person, but it can be very powerful. It has the power to restore relationship. It has the power to heal those emotional and psychological wounds that we have because of some of these things that somebody has done to us. And it can restore freedom to us, and it unlocks those chains of bitterness and resentment that we, we, you know, we hold on to for so long. That's the power of forgiveness. And I think about that, it, it needs to be used in a, in, a, in a 
a lot of different ways in our culture, and it's not a lot of times. But the man in the story you just heard was practicing this principle that Jesus taught, and he was actually living it out consistently. Jesus did. It's not easy what this man did to know that that's a policeman that caused me a year of my life, but I'm going to do the right thing. And now I want to repeat what he said again. We need to work on our humanity. That's the main problem of this world. But here's the deal, y'all. We can't just go, well, I'm going to work on my humanity. I'm going to do better tomorrow. I'm going to do better. I can't do it on my own because in my own humanity, I can't do that. I need the power of God, don't I? You need the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus comes into our lives, we allow that Holy Spirit to live out because I don't want to forgive sometimes, but the Holy Spirit reminds me, but you were forgiven, Craig. You were forgiven, and you need to forgive. That's how God's kingdom operates. But again, he says, the main problem of this world is that we need to work on our humanity. We're stuck on how to get up or get even. Do we hear that all the time? We've got to get even. And not just get even, we've got to get a step above that. And we see that in our culture and how they operate. And he said, this is not how I was raised to be. So somebody in his life, whether it was his parents or teachers or coaches or the church or all of the above worked in his life to say, no, that's not the way. Forgiveness is important. He says, you learn to live and move on. I was always taught to forgive big. Somebody in his life instilled in him that it was important to forgive. And you can't base every day of your life off of one or two interactions or things that have happened that you've had with a certain individual or group of individuals. And we do need to work on our humanity We are created in the image of God, aren't we? All of us have his image, but we're also called to have his heart. Not just look like maybe what God would look like, but have the heart of God, that forgiving heart that God had. And we should demonstrate that. And there's no better way to do that than forgiveness. That shows we have the heart of God. And no, it's not easy. There's a part of us that wants to give up and walk away from people and go, I'm done with them. You hurt me. You did that to me. It was deliberate. You meant to hurt me, and I'm going to walk away, and I don't want to have anything else to do with you again. And we feel like that, and some of us have done that. We're separated from somebody because of that. But even if we never have to see that person again or ever deal with that person again, ever again, there's these unintended consequences that work on our heart, that eat away at our soul and our heart from us not forgiving somebody. It hurts us. You know, it's that saying, it's the... Uh, It's a pill that I take, a poison that I take, hoping that you will die. But I'm the one that's taking it. But again, I ask the question, what prompted Peter to ask this question about the limits of forgiveness? Why did he ask that? Well, right before this parable of the unforgiving servant, Jesus has shared some teaching on how we're supposed to handle these situations where someone has sinned against us or wronged us. But we always do it the wrong way, don't we? I know when somebody has something that they've done or has someone done to, a lot of times, and y'all have this experience too, somebody comes to you and starts telling you what bad things somebody did to them, right? And they just, boy, they get wound up with it. Well, you know what they did? And then they said, and I can't believe that. And boy, after they get through with the whole story, you go, man, that's terrible. Well, have you talked to them about it? Well, no, but I've told everybody else. (laughs) And then we laugh, but that's how we do. We want to tell everybody how bad we were hurt, but we don't actually go to that person. So Jesus addresses this, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. So this is what Jesus said. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two 
others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's, he's taken that right out of the law of Moses. They understand that's what Moses said from God. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now think about that for a minute. We don't necessarily do that. We go tell everybody else. We don't actually go to the person. But Jesus gives us this way to interact. When something like that happens, you need to address it. But a lot of times we just we fight or flee, right? And a lot of us just flee. We don't want to deal with it. So we just go tell everybody else how bad we've been hurt. But go to that person, and if they listen to you and they understand how bad you were hurt and they ask for forgiveness and give it to them, then you've won them over and the relationship is, is saved. But he said, but if they won't listen, take a couple of people, one or two other people that know the situation and know you and go as support and try to get them to listen if they still won't listen. And Jesus mentions the church here. And this is interesting because has the church been established yet? No, there is no such thing. There's synagogues, there's temples, but there's not church. And it's this word, Greek word, ekklesia, which means a community of believers. And so Jesus is kind of giving us a, a, a little bit of this is what's coming in the book of Acts. This, this bride of Christ is coming, this thing called the church, which is a community of believers. It's not a building, it's a community of believers. So when he says, go and get the church to go with you, that doesn't necessarily mean, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but a lot of churches have abused this. Let's bring somebody up in front of the whole church and embarrass them. And let's excommunicate them if they don't. We've had a, you know, the churches over the years has had fun with that one. But basically saying, no, in a community of believers, you're trying to restore the relationship, not embarrass somebody or kick them out of the church. You're trying to restore the relationship. But Peter hears this, and Peter is scratching his head because he's going, so you're saying three strikes and you're out. Doesn't that sound what it sounds like? There's three strikes, and then you're out. But Peter's scratching his head because he's going, wait a minute. And if you were here last week, we talked about the lost sheep and how Jesus said, if you have a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, you leave the 99 and you go after the one. That's called unconditional love because everybody's a shepherd's going, no, you don't. You don't leave the 99 because they could get lost or killed while you're out looking for the one who wandered away. You just got to kind of let them come back. And Jesus says, no, you leave the 99 and you go after the one. That's unconditional love. And everybody's going, so Peter's going, if it's unconditional love, then why is there only three strikes and I'm out? I don't understand that. So he comes up with, Jesus said three strikes. I'm going to add three more and then even add one. And I'm going to really look holy and righteous when I ask Jesus this question. I'm speculating, obviously, y'all. But he goes, so Jesus, how many times should I forgive people? Not your three times, Jesus, but seven times. Oh, you know, holy I am, you know? And it's like Jesus understands where he's going. He's trying to see that there's limits. And he says, no, it's more than that. And he tells this story. But maybe Peter's a little confused, like I said. And he says, if after you've done all that, treat them as pagans and tax collectors. And I want us to see that Jesus is trying to really set not only Peter up, but us up for these limits. Sometimes we think there are limits to our forgiveness. And apparently he says, treat them if they want. If you've gone to the person, taken some people with you and taken them before the church or the community of believers and they still won't say they're sorry and do the right thing, then you treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Well, how do you treat pagans and tax collectors? Well, uh, anybody been watching that series called The Chosen? 
If you have, raise your hand. Some of y'all have, okay? Now, there's a guy, Matthew is in, in there, and Matthew was what before he became a disciple of Jesus? He was a tax collector. And Matthew can tell you exactly how he was treated by his own people because he was a tax collector. Oh, you work for Rome, and they are killing us with taxes, and you work for Rome, and you're okay, and you're making a lot of money off your own people. We hate you, Matthew. And literally in this series, they show him their spit on him when they see him in the, you know, walking around in town. Everybody has this disdain for Matthew. And guess who's writing this gospel, y'all? Matthew. He understands exactly how tax collectors and pagans are treated. And apparently Jews had a great way of making outsiders feel really outside. Oh, you're a Gentile? You can't get into this part of our temple because we're better than you. We're God's chosen people. That was never what God intended. To give that attitude that you were better because you were his chosen people. No, you were supposed to reflect who the children of God were, not leave people out. But they had a good doing this very well. Ignore people, shun people, reject them, treat them as an enemy. That's how he says to do it after three strikes. But this is where I struggle that I think this is a setup for Peter. Because who did Jesus get accused of hanging out with, y'all? Tax collectors and sinners, right? Isn't that where he hung out? And the religious leaders goes, what are you hanging out with these tax collectors? These people that are sinners. How, why are you going to Matthew's house for a party with those kind of people, Jesus? You're supposed to shun them, ignore them, make them the enemy. And Jesus says, no, it's not the well that need a doctor, it's the sick. And so I'm going to their house to party. Because they need to hear and see and feel the good news of God. And Jesus was rejected and criticized for this. Maybe this bothered Peter, this three-strike thing. So he's upping the ante to seven, maybe. So he asked Jesus up to seven times. And Jesus hears what he thinks Peter's trying to do. Like, well, maybe three's a little stringent, but I'll go to seven. But that's as far as I'm going to go with my forgiveness, seven. Jesus, what do you think about that? And I think Peter maybe is expecting Jesus going, you are the man. You're right, seven times. That's amazing. I wish I had thought of that, Peter, but instead, what does Jesus do? He tells a story, which is awesome. Let's listen to the story. Verse 23. Well, first, verse 22, he says, I tell you, not seven times, Peter, but 77 times. And this just blows his mind, and it does ours, too, when you think about it. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So he began the settlement. A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison till he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Does this parable stun you? It stuns me for a lot of reasons. The first one is, how do you get in that much debt? 
I guess you work for the U.S. government, maybe. You just keep piling up the debt. Don't worry about it. Hey, it's good money to everybody. It's all good. We got trillions, trillions of debt that we have. And you go, how did that happen? But that stuns me. And then how do you allow yourself to get into that much debt? I've got this much debt. I need to stop this and start paying this off. But no, you just keep going into more and more debt. Now, in this parable, it says, uh, you know, certain number of bags of gold. Maybe your version actually says how many. But it basically, y'all, is millions and millions of dollars that this guy owes his master or the king. I don't know how he got into that much debt. Somebody wasn't doing a good job, um, you know, watching the money or whatever. But this guy just kept getting more and more into debt. And he didn't watch it. And he goes, well, if they don't care, I don't care. I'm just going to keep spending the money. And all of a sudden, he gets called into account. But it's literally millions of dollars. And he begs the guy, please, I will. He gets on his knees, please, I will pay you back. That's nonsense. You will never be able to pay that money back. That's the whole point. It doesn't matter how long he worked, he was never going to be able to pay that debt back. Whether you are Jewish listening to this and know there's even at the end of seven years, you know, you get to cancel all debts. Or if you're Rome and you know you can be thrown into jail. There's different people listening to Jesus tell this story in the first century. You can't pay it back. There's no way this guy's ever going to get his money back. So he just forgives the whole thing. Who, give, who forgives millions of dollars? Who does that? This guy does. And then the biggest stunner, when you've been forgiven millions of dollars of debt, just wiped clean, you can go free. Man, how much lighter would you feel? How much better would you feel? Your whole perspective of life should be different. But instead, what does he go out and do? Hey, man, you owe me 50 bucks. I want it right now. Well, I promise you I'll pay it back. 50 bucks? He can probably pay him back. It's probably a pretty simple plan to get that back, but what does he do? No, he starts choking him. He goes, no, you will pay me back now, and if you're not, and he has this guy thrown into jail, and the rest of the servants go, what in the world? We've all heard this amazing story of how the king, our, our master, gave, forgave you millions of dollars of debt. We were all wondering when and what was going to happen. We can't believe he did that. It, 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 it affects everybody, that kind of grace and forgiveness. We've all heard about it and go, wow, what a king. What a master we have that he would forgive that kind of way. So they go and tell him, because this guy, you just forgave millions of dollars. He won't even forgive this guy for 50 bucks. So he calls him in, and he sees what he says. How dare you? And he throws him into prison. But this guy never got it. It boggles our minds. This is how serious forgiveness is to Jesus. And he says this not only here, but even in back in Matthew 6 when he's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart as God the Father forgives you, he's not going to forgive you. This is serious. This forgiveness stuff is serious to Jesus. And it can and should transform us when we realize the price and the sacrifice that Jesus paid to forgive us. We have to grasp that. Because if we don't grasp how much Jesus paid to forgive me, I'm never going to be able to forgive you. Because I don't really grasp that I need my own forgiveness. But for this guy, he never got it. It never transformed him. It never changed him. And you go, how is that possible? But I think God sometimes looks at me and goes, Craig, you're not forgiving that person after what I've forgiven you? How can you not see that? But I don't. We're blinded, aren't we, sometimes by that? How about us? Do we realize the cost for our forgiveness? Does this play into how we treat or forgive others? Do you realize that the many problems of this world right now, right this instance, in the world, and even within your family, and even within um, 
people in your, your office or your work or at school, a lot of these things could be solved right now if somebody would just be forgiving. If somebody would just say, you know what? This has been going on too long. I played a part of this. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Let's make a new start. How many, of, how many things in this world right now, if people would do that, would get cleared up because of that? Now, I'm even talking politics. What if somebody got up, I don't know, Republican or Democrat, and I don't know if you watch C-SPAN, I don't know why, but anyway, if you're watching it, and you, you hear somebody get up, and what they're going to do is they're going to get up, they get their speech all prepared, you are, and they're going to look at the other side of the aisle and go, you are the reason this country is in this situation because of you, and they're just going to go bam, 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 and just wail on them. And what if they got up and said, you know what, I had this speech prepared, but I realize our country is in a bad space. There's a lot of division and I'm to blame for that. During the, during the election, I caused this. I should have been serving the people that I represent, and I haven't. I've been caring more about my, you know, my career than I did about the people and the, the, the unity of this country. And I just want you to say to you, the opposite side of the aisle, forgive me, I was wrong. Could you imagine? Because there's another guy on the other side just waiting to get his speech to get up and give his hate speech about why it's their fault that they did all this. But what if that started and on c-span we saw one after another our representatives and senators come up and apologize for their behavior i know you're going that'll never happen craig but what if it did because when one person feels the sincerity and authenticity of true forgiveness it it it, it makes a difference doesn't it we feel that what if you and i because some of us right now we have some deals that are going on where we're 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 like this with somebody but because of our pride, we are not going to go and say, I'm sorry. We're not going to go and ask for forgiveness. I'm not doing it. They, they need to come tell me they're sorry. And that's what we do when we let our pride get in the way and it just isolates and isolates and isolates. But what if I went to somebody and said, you know what? I know there's something between us. I know there is. You know there is. I take responsibility for my part in that hurt and that sin. And I'm sorry that I've hurt you. And I'm sorry that I've caused you hurt. And I've asked God for forgiveness. And I believe that God has given me that forgiveness through Jesus. And I accept that. And now I'm asking for you to forgive me. Now, if somebody came to you sincere and said that to you, how could you not forgive them when you know how much God's forgiven you? Or maybe it's the other one. I know there's something between us. You go to another person and say, I know there's something between us. It's been bugging you. It's been bugging me. And you know what? It's because of what you did. You, you hurt me because you said this, and you tell them what, you, what they said. This is what you did, and it hurt me. And maybe I never even let you know that. Maybe you didn't even know that, and I've kept it. I've told everybody else, but I haven't told you. But I'm telling you, it hurt me, and I've been resentful, and I've been bitter towards you because of what you said and what you did. But it's really caused me a lot of pain because of my resentment. So I just want you to know that I've asked God to forgive me for being resentful and bitter and holding that and going and telling everybody else but you. I've asked God for forgiveness, and he's forgiven me, and I have accepted that forgiveness. And you know what? I need you to know that I forgive you face-to-face. Do you think that might make a difference in them? How would that turn out? Oh, it wouldn't work, Craig. Have you done it? Will you do it? And some of you are thinking, I know you are. You're going, Craig... That's nice. In your little Christian utopian preacher world, everything is all wonderful and forgiveness. That's great, but that doesn't work because you don't know this person. You don't know my family member. You don't know my boss. You don't know the, what this whatever. I, you're right, I don't. It's more complicated than that, Craig. 
So what you're saying is that Jesus didn't know what he's talking about. Are you saying that Jesus and forgiveness doesn't work? Because that's how he saved the world, y'all. He didn't wait to get even. He didn't wait for us to pay him back because he's, he's going to be waiting a long time, right? Because we can't pay him back, y'all. All the hurt that I've done to other people and hurt God, I can never repay it. That's why I need him on the cross. That's why we need a Savior. If Jesus really didn't solve the problem through sin, through, of sin through grace and forgiveness, is there another way? Or are you just saying there is no other way and there is no other hope? I'm going to go with the hope of Jesus. Him Death, his death and his resurrection gives us forgiveness. We're restored to God. And Jesus followed those kingdom principles perfectly. He didn't just say them, y'all. He actually lived them out. On the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And I'm like, yes, they do. But he said that. But guess where following kingdom principles got Jesus, y'all? Dead. That's what it got him. Following kingdom principles got the religious people mad at him to the point that they wanted him dead and out of the way. But ultimately, that's how God saved the world, through that forgiveness and that grace. Because of his perfect sacrifice, we are perfectly forgiven and offered a new life and eternal salvation. When we operate under those kingdom principles consistently, guess what? The world may reject you. The world may laugh at you. Why are you forgiving them? They're not even sorry, but you do it anyway. Why are you asking for forgiveness? God's not going to give you forgiveness. The world's going to tell you that stuff. Don't believe it. When we, uh, when we operate under the kingdom principles, we have the best shot at letting the world see who God really is. And that's what God's asking us to do. I want to close with this story. I know I'm over. Lilani Schweitzer is in charge of communication and resolution at Stanford Hospital in California. And she was on a segment of TED Talks. Y'all know what TED Talks are. Pretty cool things you can look at on YouTube. And she explains that she is the one tasked to apologize and make amends when a tragic incident happens at the hospital. Like when someone is maimed for life or even dies because of something, a nurse or a doctor at the hospital. Who would want that job? Can you imagine going in with a family that the hospital, because of their negligence or whatever, has killed your loved one? She gets to go in and try to counsel with the family and explain why it happened and that it wasn't on purpose, but she's sorry and, and tries to, can you imagine that job? But this is what she does. And she says, there's, uh, she says it's very difficult for any person or institution to have to admit that they've seriously injured or killed someone. And there's shame, there's guilt, there's this fear. And most hospitals don't apologize. They let the legal department handle this. Oh, this has gone to our lawyers. You'll have to talk to them. But she says in her position, she explains, I've been in many meetings where we explain to patients and families what has happened, and those are difficult things to be a part of. I've seen an explanation move the guilt off a mother's face. I mean, that is the power. I've seen the parents walk into a meeting with a physician where no one can lift their heads to look at each other, and by the end of that meeting, they are embracing. And it is remarkable what understanding and forgiveness can do for people. Now, she's a part of doing something that's amazing. I don't know why you would want the job, but let me, I didn't tell you this one little part. That same hospital she works for and does this job for, it was their fault that her 20-month-old son died years ago. Now, throw that into the equation. Does this lady understand forgiveness on a practical level? Absolutely. She says this. She says, you know, her 20-month-old son Gabriel died in the same hospital due to a nurse's error and the lack of a fail-safe uh, in the equipment use. 
She speaks about how the hospital's honesty and transparency after this happened were critical in her family's healing. She says, it would have been easy for the university hospital administrators to blame the nurse, fire her, and assume that the problem had been solved because the bad apple was gone. It would have been a typical deny and defend behavior for them to ignore my questions, to go silent, and hope I couldn't gather my thoughts enough to file a lawsuit. But they didn't do that. Instead, they investigated, they explained, they took responsibility and apologized, and it made all the difference in our lives. Man, that's practical forgiveness being lived out, isn't it? It's authentic. We can never be good at forgiveness until we understand what forgiveness costs Jesus. It doesn't mean that we ignore hurt. That's not what I'm saying this morning. Please don't hear me saying that. It doesn't mean you ignore hurt. It doesn't mean you ignore injustice. It doesn't mean you ignore wrongs. Those need to be brought out and talked about and taken responsibility for. But it does mean that when we operate under kingdom principles, we have a different transformed perspective that can transform the situation. In this lady's life, she's living that out. So maybe today you need to start a transformation in your life. And it starts with asking God for forgiveness for how you've hurt others. And when you can receive and embrace that forgiveness in your own life, guess what? You can give that to somebody else.